Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is Pacers editor Nat Newell for the Indy Star here, of course, with Dustin Dopirak, our Pacers insider and beat writer. Uh, this is an emergency uh, From Way Downtown podcast. Obviously, uh, you can tell it's an emergency podcast because I'm in my car driving. Um, <laughs> but with the announcement uh, that Tyrese Halliburton has suffered a grade one hamstring strain, we felt like we wanted to get it going uh, and out there to the fans as soon as possible. Um, Dustin, just real quick, uh, you're not a doctor, um, but I'm sure you have read lots of tweets <laughs> by people who also aren't doctors on Twitter. Tell yep. us what the uh, grade one hamstring strain means to Tyrese Halliburton and the Pacers. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the base of it, I know, is it just it, it just sounds like it's not going to be that long. And so, in a way, this is less of an emergency. It's, it's probably, you know, ultimately, a, a, you know, good news, uh, you know, considering the, just the way it looked yesterday. Obviously, Tyrese Halliburton had to be carried off the floor uh, by James Johnson and Buddy Heal. just didn't seem like he could put any weight on that uh, for the moment. But the idea that it's not a tear um, and it's not something that's going to cost him his season uh, is pretty significant news. I mean, basically, it's just the um you know the lowest level of of strain you can have it's still going to cost him some time obviously the uh you know re- not the report is the, the word is that he will be reevaluated uh after their upcoming west coast trip uh that's going to be a six games in i think 10 days trip and they also obviously have uh, still a home game remaining uh on the home stand against the wizards so that's a pretty still a pretty significant stretch but obviously i think you had to be concerned um that it was something worse than that and and certainly that that a what has been a uh, completely spectacular season on, on Tyrese Halliburton's part, uh, you know, might have been in jeopardy. And so, the, 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 you know, certainly have every reason to believe that he will return um, at some point. This might cost him a couple of weeks and, and ultimately be similar in terms of time missed uh, to the elbow sprain uh, that, that uh, he underwent last season. Um, and I mean, uh, from what uh, the research I've done, again, not a doctor, but a, a grade one strain is two weeks. Um, there's grade two, which is a few more weeks than that. A uh, grade three strain would have been several months. Um, obviously, you don't until you get the MRI, you don't know the answer to any of this stuff. So it's good news uh, that it was it's the the lowest level. Um, I mean, there's also things you can tear your muscle off the bone, and that's worse, and and all kinds of terrible things. Pacer fans more familiar with all of this than they want to be given Paul George's broken leg and Victor Oladipo's um, very rare quad injury. Um, Without, you mentioned it'll be a similar stretch to the the elbow strain last year. Uh, I'm sure any serious fan remembers the team went one and nine without Tyrese Halliburton Mm. last year, really went from what could have been, you know, a, a surprising run. They were, I think the sixth seed in the East when he got hurt. Um, mm-hmm. which no one expected, and then ultimately ended up even out of the play-in. What are your thoughts on what this means uh, for the next two weeks for the team? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they played great without him last night. Uh, how much of that is adrenaline? How much of that is real? Yeah, no, I think it, it, a certain amount of it is certainly real. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously there, there was real adrenaline. You, you could see that they, 
you know, really just bucked up in the third quarter that there was a sense of, okay, we, we can't, uh, you know, let, let this just drag us down, um, entirely. And so there was certainly motivation, um, and, and, and whatnot. And, and it was 44 point, uh, third quarter against the Celtics, who are a really good defensive team. And I think they hung 1.61 points per possession, uh, in that, uh, in that quarter. I mean, it was, it was dominant. I mean, there were dominant stretches in that third period. Now, obviously, again, the Celtics were playing without Jason Tatum, so that makes a huge difference, too. Um, you know, that basically, you know, Tatum's shot making was just off the charts, uh, on Saturday night, and he was doing some, some injury management. Um, but I, I think, I mean, they are ultimately better built for it this time. Um, just, I mean, they're, they're, they're more experienced, they're deeper. Um, and, you know, you saw that play out last night. I mean, I think for, for one thing, just what Halliburton's done is sort of weave, um, you know, this sort of, you know, very unselfish brand of basketball and very quick ball movement, player movement, um, you know, into this team's DNA. And it, it was able to really summon that even without him. Um, you know, the, the significant piece to it is, is obviously you don't have a, a, a playmaker of his caliber, a shot maker of his caliber, a scorer of his caliber, just an overall offensive force uh, of his caliber. So you have to kind of do it by committee. I mean, I think you saw um, a, a, a version of Benedict Matherin um, who could be a go-to guy uh, late in the game, and, and that's sort of what they've been waiting for. Um, but, you know, we've, we've talked most of the season about them not having an established number two guy, and, and we still have that conversation for a reason. I mean, you, you see flashes of this. Uh, from Benedict Matherin, as Rick Carlisle said, you know, he is a guy that, that has a better capacity to get at any shot he wants, uh, more than anyone else on the roster. I presume he wasn't including Halliburton in that discussion. Um, but, you know, he, he did point that out. But in the same way, you know, he, he goes through periods where, where he struggles. And obviously, even after he made some really good plays last night, uh, he had some, you know, significant mistakes, I thought, um, in the winning minutes. You know, forced a three, uh, had a bad pass, drove underneath the bucket and kind of got tied up and tried to, you know, just, toss it, hand it off to T.J. McConnell, and when McConnell was not really in a place to receive it, you know, they were kind of within like three feet of each other, uh, and the ball goes out of bounds, and they turn over and waste uh, a significant possession. But still, I mean, they've, they've got, I mean, everybody, even though not everybody on the team can get any shot they want and score from any distance they want, not everybody on the team is a, is a three-level scorer, you know, they, they've got eight guys averaging double figures. You know, there there are eight, you know, and, and the three guys that aren't, that are part of the rotation, which would be Nemhard, McConnell, and and Isaiah Jackson, you know, aren't that far off. And, and, and McConnell and Jackson in particular are pretty efficient guys. You know, when you look at the per 36 numbers and when you look at what they're shooting from the field, I mean, Jackson's somewhere around 67%. Uh, McConnell shot it really well. He hasn't shot well from outside, but he generally gets his, um, can get to his eight footers and layups when he wants them. Um, so everybody can get, put the ball in the bucket and they can share it. And I think this, they're, they're playing a better defensive brand of basketball than they were. Um, so they're, they're better built for this. Now, obviously that doesn't mean that they're not about to lose some games. I mean, they're about to play the NBA champions, uh, on Sunday. Um, and so they're going to, you know, they're certainly not getting, um, you, it's, it's hard to even imagine that they'll get through, uh, the West Coast trip without picking up some losses. Um, and probably at least one or two more than they would have if Halliburton was available. Uh, but they have reason to feel more confident that the bottom won't fall out. Um, and they'll be able to pick up some wins. They'll be able to beat some teams that they're supposed to be, um, on this trip. And there are a couple of those, you know, Atlanta, Utah, uh, you know, certainly Washington, the, the remaining home game. Uh, they have reason to believe they should be able to win games like that, um, you know, without Halliburton. But, you know, it, it is, it is a significant loss and they're probably going to pick up some losses that they might not have if he was available. And my philosophy on this kind of thing has always been at the highest levels of basketball. 
the easiest thing to replace is points because everybody on the team has been a scorer at some point in their career. Sure. Um, I also think that Halliburton is not a uh, – I'll be kind and say not a great defensive player. No. So you can – He's. The, I would say it again, and, and, I, and he showed this the other night. He's the best defensive player in the league who can't guard anybody. Yeah, <laughs> that's an excellent, excellent summation of him. He had five steals in that Celtics game on Saturday night. Five. And he got bullied every time Jalen Brown wanted him to take him down low. <laughs> so it was it was those combination of things. When he had the the ability to free range and go stick his hands wherever you know, just arms out and just just get get his hands on the ball and, and read plays, did a great job. When it was just mono a mono him versus Jalen Brown, it, it wasn't even fair. So my yeah, thought, exactly. yeah, my, but 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 the the people who who will get his minutes are likely better defensive significantly players. better on the ball defensive players. Yes, that would be Andrew Nemhard and, and T.J. McConnell, and they are much better at just stopping a guy than he is. Yeah, which will make up for some of the what they're losing. Again, I'm certainly not saying they're not going to miss Tyrese Halliburton. They're going to miss him. You don't have anyone else, um, perhaps in the NBA, who creates like him. But I think there's some there's, – if you want to be optimistic, that's a, a reason to be optimistic. Sure. Um, also, I want to give a quick uh, nod to T.J. McConnell. The Celtics, even without Tatum, have the best defensive backcourt in the NBA in White and Holiday. And at mm-hmm. the end of that game, Holiday's getting shots. I mean, that's – which is just – I mean, I, who thought that in 2024 we would – I would be saying that sentence? Certainly not me. I mean, just uh, – I, I, I think he brings more than you might think in some of those situations. Oh, no, he certainly does. I mean, I, I thought – I mean, he, he made so many key plays uh, last night, but I, I thought that just the one that really stood out to me – again, there was a stretch where it was like, okay, after – you know, Mazarin had made some key plays. He had a three, uh, made a really nice pass. I thought set – you know, just recognizing the double team, being smart and not trying to drive through it when Derek White came over to trap him. Uh, he saw Andrew Nemhard, you know, not Andrew, Andrew Nemhard, Aaron Neesmith cutting across uh, the free, you know, uh, across the free throw line, hit him there. You know, uh, Neesmith gets the bucket and the foul. He didn't end up converting the end one. But Matherin's really pumped up in that point. You can sense that Matherin's like, okay, I'm the guy. I can create. I can make shots. You know, th- this this game runs through me down the stretch. And then he made mistakes. You know, I think his next two possessions were bad. You know, again, he rushed the three that he didn't need to take, um, and and you know, you know, ends up committing a turnover. And T.J. McConnell figures out right then. It's like, okay, I'm the veteran. I got to go make this happen. And he's T.J. McConnell, and obviously his offensive game on some level is limited, but on another level, it's he gets to his shot when he wants to. He doesn't. Not every shot on the board is his. He hasn't been as good even at making the open ones from three this year as he was a year ago. But he drives right down there and gets a bucket and ties the game at 131 after Porzingis had made a three to actually give the Celtics the lead back. Um, that's a huge moment. That's a veteran saying, you know, I can do this right now. You know, regardless of all of the physical limitations TJ McConnell has, um, he knows he can get to that rim when he wants to, uh, and he did. And that was just such a huge piece. And there were several other moments. I mean, you know, uh, e- even early in the third quarter, you know, Nemhard picks up his fourth foul. Nemhard was in his first game back, um, you know, from a mid-back sprain. Um, and McConnell comes up, just just really sparked that group and really got them going. And, you know, it, it, he's been like that all year, almost in every occasion when, when he's been asked uh, to step up and do something, and, and whether it's, you know, uh, whether Halliburton was having a tough time because he was been defending too much or even just when Halliburton need, needed some minutes off or Nemhard did, 
I mean, he's he's really been oh, such a key cog for them, and and you know he's obviously going to have an expanded role, and and you're you're not going to see any DMPs from him while while Halliburton's out. So, you know, you you can trust that you're going to get what you get from the TJ McConnell. Do you uh, who starts uh, in place of uh, Halliburton? And let me throw um, uh, a little bit of a, a different idea. Do you put Brown on the bench or Naismith on the bench? And start uh, and start Matherin and Nevhart, or do you just put Nevhart or McConnell in the starting lineup and place of Alberton? If it's me, I I move Matherin up, but I don't know that I I, I don't know if Carlisle will. I I believe all kinds of possibilities. I mean, he li- likes having loves having two you know two ball handlers, two playmakers, um, and he loves having Aaron Neesmith on the floor. Um, but the flip side of that is if you um, if you have Aaron Neesmith on the floor and you know that's your top scorer, you know th- I mean he becomes your your featured guy and and so you you know like who's on there in that starting unit that can really get you a bucket if it's Nemhard Brown um, and and Neesmith you know I, that that puts you in a little bit of tough space so I um, I wouldn't be shocked if he still did it um, and just put out a really really good defensive lineup. But I feel like you're going to have to have a, a go-to scorer on there. And, yeah, I feel like the more he thinks about it, the more he'll probably put Benedict Matherin um, in that spot. I mean, my guess is he'll leave Neesmith in and either, you know, I guess have Bruce Brown run the one. You know, that's that's sort of what I'm leaning towards there. Um, or, or it could be Nemhard, You know, it could be Nemhard and, and move Brown to the two. You know he he's got all kinds of possibilities. He can move Neesmith, uh back on, back to the bench. You know where he's where he's certainly been comfortable and been fine. I mean he does have options. You know I I will say that he does have options. Um, so I don't know what direction he'll go. I'm very intrigued to see what direction he'll go. I I, I lean towards you got to put Matherin in there. You know the, the more I think about it, I'm kind of talking myself into it as I do it. That whatever you do, whether you move, whether it's Nemhard, whether it's Brown, um, whether it's even Jalen Smith. Uh, that you move back or, or Neesmith, uh, one way or another. I kind of feel like you have to have Benedict Matherin in the starting lineup in this case, just because someone's got to score the basketball. Yeah, I was leaning towards Matherin, but with uh, uh, before I brought this up, and you've talked me into it even further in terms of them needing a score. I think you need a uh, like a not necessarily a someone who's guard, someone who is a point guard first, and I don't think that's Brown. I think Brown is a legitimate uh, ball handler and, and can run the point. But I don't know that I want him being the, the, the first guy out there. But, yeah, right. Jason, moving Jalen Smith back to the bench is an interesting idea, too. Um, but I do think you've got to have Matherin out there. If only, let's find out what he can do in this role and let's see, you know, let's see mm-hmm. where he's at. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. I mean, Any they tried it before. I mean, they, I, I should have run out. I mean, they, like – don't forget, Matherin obviously got thrown into the starting lineup last year. Um, they've been through all this before. Um, and obviously, Matherin was a rookie last year, and that's different. And it was a deal putting him in the starting lineup. It did not go well. Um, it did not go particularly well. He had a tough time uh, you know, during that stretch. I'm trying to remember his exact numbers. Um, but it wasn't very long until, I mean, it, it was on that trip. Cause within about, in, in, you know, the, the schedule set up very similarly. Uh, last year, that that not long after um, you know Halliburton got hurt, uh, they were on a trip that included Denver and Phoenix. Um, you know, I think it also included. Um, I think it might have been Milwaukee. It was Milwaukee and it was Milwaukee, Oklahoma City, uh, Denver, Phoenix. I think. And 
Um, and I remember, I, I think it was in the Phoenix game that they moved Matherin back out, and, and, and Carl said, I think at that point that you know we're, we're trying to set him up for his best for success, and, and it seems just at this at this point. Um, the best way to set him up for a success is to bring him off the bench. Um, and, you know, again, they, they've done it again. It just seems like that's where he's more comfortable. Um, you know, certainly when Halliburton's starting, it's just a different dynamic for him where, where Matherin seems to like to get the ball in his hand and have an, an opportunity to kind of set somebody else in up in a, set up a defender in isolation and kind of, you know, carve guys up that way um, and is a little bit less effective when the ball moves as fast as it does. Um, with Halliburton, but you know, um, it, it, it is interesting what, what, what he can do in this case when it's when there's no Halliburton and see maybe how much he's grown uh, in a year, and that's going to be a big piece of how far they can go. Is again, it's just just how much more prepared Benedict Matherin is for this role. Yeah, and I'm I'm speaking of seeing what you got is seeing what you got with him without Halliburton in the starting lineup without Halliburton out there with him, you know, filling that role that you were talking about as being the number one guy in that unit. Um, and, and seeing how that works. Any other aspect of the Halliburton injury that you want to discuss that we haven't yet? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think, I mean, ultimately, I do think they're just more confident about it. I mean, obviously, getting off to a win like they got is a big deal. You know, I mean, and just going in, having gotten that victory, you know, it just, just walk away with it with some level of confidence, not feeling like the sky is falling. Um, is a big deal just to start with. I, I do think a lot of guys are just more prepared with what's going to be asked. Um, you know, Neesmith, I think, is – because if, if Matherin doesn't start, I mean, I think uh, you'll find out a little bit more about what Neesmith, um, you know, added to his game, you know, a, a, as a guy that can get his own shot. And, and he hasn't really done a whole ton of that. Um, but he is still better, I think, at getting the rim when he has to, creating his own shot when he has to. I mean, he's mostly just played within the offense and, and let it create for him what it gets him. Um, but I, I think he can go get his, uh, possibly. And I'll be interested to see to what degree uh, he leans on that. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, Nemhart, I think, has really played well. Um, you know, you take out the mid-back back sprain. Um, I think he's pretty prepared for this. McConnell obviously is being to see what uh, it requires from Brown, um, you know, in, in this case. It's just I think a lot, of, a lot of guys, I think, are just better prepared to deal with this than they were a year ago. And so all around, I just don't expect the bottom to fall out. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we've certainly spent time talking about how um, they almost have had too many good players, uh, mm-hmm. you know, going into this season. And now you're in a situation where um, you're glad to have it. I mean, it's, sure. uh, uh, it certainly worked out. Uh, it, it does certainly provide that uh, a higher floor um, when something mm-hmm. like this happens. You don't want to see something like this happen. Again, I don't know. In, when you're constructing a playoff team, you're not going to want 10 guys um, playing. So I don't think, um, you know, I sort of think that you still need to look at that roster construction um, sure. But certainly in the short term, uh, yeah. it's to their benefit. And as you know, they they definitely seem more equipped to deal with this um, than they were last year. I, I think Jalen Brown even said that, you know, when Halliburton goes out, you would have thought that maybe they um, wouldn't play with the same pace. And he said they just doubled down on it. And uh, mm-hmm. and that's I think that speaks to the players you've got on the team. And I think it also speaks to, you know, the leadership Halliburton provides. And sure. uh, the, the team sort of recognizing what works with him and being able mm-hmm. to execute it on their own. Again, uh, you know, Halliburton's Halliburton. They're not going to be as good a team without him. But uh, um, they're certainly uh, in a better place than they were last year. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, they they can push and flow and, and find shots. And, and, and like, 
Um, it, you know, McConnell plays as fast. I mean, again, McConnell just can't create the same kind of shots. He can't space the floor the same way. He's not capable of hitting your 35 foot three. But when it comes to make or miss push, McConnell pushes. And so, you know, they play in transition as, uh, you know, they, they keep a defense from getting set every bit as much with McConnell as they do with Halliburton. It's just, again, the capacity to be the same volume of score McConnell doesn't have. Um, Nemhard plays a little slower, but McConnell really, in terms of just how fast are you across the timeline, it's not a lot slower if it's slower at all. Uh, might even be faster. You know, um, in terms of just he's booking and, you know, where, where Halliburton somewhere in there is going to look to pull up, uh, McConnell's going the distance. And so that's just something. I mean, and to the, the depth point, they're not going to have to play anybody they haven't played. Like that's, I think, a really key piece to this is nobody who is going to be getting minutes in this stretch has been stacking DNPs. I mean, McConnell and Jackson have both had them. You know, but they're still averaging over 13 minutes in the games they're playing. They've each been in over, you know, 24, 25 games. Um, you know, there's there's not going to be anybody in here. Um, you know, Ben Shepard might find some more minutes someplace. Jarris Walker might get some more opportunities somewhere. There's, there's not a non-zero chance of that happening. But they're going to be able to have a 10-man rotation of guys um, who already have a role. And that matters. You know, there's not going to be anybody that's going to be asked to be plucked up and suddenly be, hey, do something you haven't had to do at all or haven't had to do in weeks. Um, that's not going to be a, a case for these guys. They'll be able to, to rule with the guys that they have um, and not demand anything from somebody that, that hasn't been asked to do anything. And since we're here, we'll hit the, the foul calls and non-calls uh, fairly quickly. Um, live, I did not think healed or fouled Jalen Brown. When I watched the replay, I didn't think he fouled him. And then I found a replay that was a little bit more zoomed in, and he clearly hit him in the head. <laughs> I, don't <Yeah>. know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that his head moved a lot. So I mean, I guess if you want to go uh, um, uh, overboard, Pacers homer, you could argue mm. that it didn't affect the play. But the bottom line is he hit the guy in the head. So yeah. what we I just take it, and you, you've got a lot of different interactions. Uh, buddy, if told uh, uh, Joe Missoula he fouled him. Um, mm. I think one thing we can take out of this is, buddy, don't tell people that. Um, but uh, <laughs> what was what was the word in the locker room last night? Yeah, no, I mean, but I mean, buddy was hilarious. <laughs> um, buddy said Angels was with me on that one, and um, you know, he said obviously he he spoke the truth, which is, you know, uh, they got three reps and they got you know cameras and slow down everything and you know that kind of deal and and. You know, hey, you wanted the call, and you know, buddy's in the, buddy couldn't give it back, and you know, like even though he told Joe Mazzulla, and he didn't have a problem telling us, uh, you know, <laughs> that, that pretty much confirming, like, yeah, well, I, I told Joe, yeah, I mean, I thought I got him, um, but at the end of the day, you know, they reversed it, and that's what the call is, and so he's not wrong. It's not like you know he could say, uh, hey, ref, uh, I think you're incorrect. I definitely hit his head, and <laughs> and and you should give him two shots and possibly the game here because I am that uh, honorable and dutiful and I refuse to accept this win on behalf of your, uh, you know, your video replay team. So, you know, uh, they just can't give it back. Um, but, you know, and obviously you don't know what would have happened if, if Brown makes, you know, two free throws and the Pacers, you know, certainly would have probably called a timeout and get the ball back with, you know, 3.2 seconds, uh, you know, on their side of the timeline. And, you know, obviously they draw a foul anyway, eventually. Uh, and, you know, Matherin, you know, got three shots there and missed the last one. 
So obviously you don't know if that would if, if he would have been defended different if if the Celtics were playing with the lead, um, all that kind of deal. But you know you can't give it back. Um, but Jalen Brown was certainly upset about it. You know, I mean, he he just he's like I, he's like I, I don't know how you're going to look me in the eye and tell me I didn't get hit in the head because I know I got hit in the head. Um, you know, if you're going to call a foul and say that that's not a foul, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, uh, to your point, the block was clean. Um, and so on, on, you could argue that, okay, did it materially make a difference? Maybe not, but you're still not supposed to hit a shooter in the head. Um, and, you know, obviously it's still a foul if, you know, a, a guy takes a shot and you foul him after he's released it, you know, that's still a foul, uh, you know, so even if that doesn't materially affect the direction and tra- trajectory of the shot, it's still a foul. Um, so they, and, they certainly could and we know that it. because that's exactly what happened on Matherin's shot. Where right. again, I think that was a foul too, but it was not a um, it was not an extreme foul by any stretch of the imagination by Porzingis. So um, no. it was off the, the, the juxtaposition of the two plays to call one mm. a foul and one not a foul did not help the look of the officials either. No, not at all, and and, and it never helps look of the officials when you know just there's two calls that make the difference that, that when the game is decided on the foul line, it, it generally is not, uh, you know, it, it never looks great for the officials. Sometimes they end up looking better in the long term, but that's not generally the, the, the best way for a game to end either way. Oh, and we will find out more. The NBA, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, put out a last two minute report. It's any, any close game, they will review every call at the end of the, in the last two minutes of it and then determine whether the call was correct or not, whether there should have been a call when there wasn't, whether there was a call and there shouldn't have been. Um, so come to IndyStar.com around, uh, sometime late this afternoon. Um, Dustin will have the report, uh, which is publicly available if our readers want to uh, find it as well. Just search for uh, NBA last two-minute report and you'll find it. Um, and we'll see what the, the official word is. Um, well, that is it for our emergency podcast. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, it's nice for the Pacers to have the Wizards, kind of a, a exhibition game to uh, warm up without uh, Halliburton. Um, and then they go on a road trip. Dustin will be with them the entire time on the road. Uh, so continue to come back to IndyStar.com. And thank you for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.